Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 149. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Beardy Kong, Pete Mashad. It's a pleasure to be here, Chris. Good to have you back, Pete. Of course, we are here once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. So we've got some game impressions to discuss, we have some news to talk about, and then we also have this week's big topic, which is the 10 other NES games Nintendo should add to Nintendo Switch Online. However, before we get to that, let's kick things off with some game impressions, starting with a game that came out last week, that being The Messenger for Nintendo Switch. This is a retro-style ninja action game where you jump, slash, swim, glide, and wall climb <laughs> through an assortment of horizontally and vertically scrolling levels, slicing through enemies and bosses on the way. It has cool gameplay techniques like being able to uh, sort of double jump after you've slashed an object in midair, which lets you reach secret areas if you can master it. Plus, you learn more moves and earn upgrades as the game progresses, including several that can be purchased in the shop. I've been enjoying this game so far. Pete, did you also pick it up? And if so, what do you think? I did, and uh, I love it. It feels like a spiritual successor to Ninja Gaiden. Hmm. I wouldn't say it really feels like Ninja Gaiden to me, but I mean, obviously, you know, some of the moves, the wall climbing, the ninja, uh, there are definite similarities. (laughs) I think also just like there are some definite nods to the series. That's true. That is very true. There is a very blatant one right at the beginning. <laughs> Especially a lot of the dot, dot, dots. <laughs> the uh, ellipses that are everywhere all over the Ninja Gaiden series. Yeah, that's true. And like Ninja Gaiden, there are plenty of uh, cutscenes to propel the story forward. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, just in general, the way that you kind of move about the level, the moves are very similar. I don't think it's necessarily some one-to-one remake of Ninja Gaiden. No, not at all. But it definitely kind of has that feeling and and a little bit of the same art style and some of those same, you know, overall look, feel, and kind of overall aesthetic, I guess. Hmm. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I certainly agree it does take a few cues from that game. No question about it. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, aside from being just a solid action game, The Messenger is notable for the fact that it has both 8-bit and 16-bit graphic styles. Now, have you gotten to the 16-bit section yet? No, I haven't. I feel like I'm pretty far into the game. When do you encounter it? Oh, it's after maybe five or six levels. Where are you now? Um, I believe I'm in the Mushroom Forest or whatever it's called. Okay, you probably have a couple more worlds to go after that. But uh, yeah, after you go through those stages, then you will... Okay, there are going to be some spoilers here, so if you don't want to hear the spoilers, uh, skip ahead a few minutes, I guess. Hey, now. Uh, sorry, Beardy Kong, you're in this all the way. <laughs> but pretty soon, you will uh, be warping to, quote-unquote, the future, and when you do that, it switches into 16-bit visuals. Oh, funny. I, I remember now that you mentioned it, seeing that in the trailer. Right. It looked like it was a big deal in the trailer. Yeah, but that being said, you know, I'm really having a lot of fun with the game, even as is. It's, uh, I can only imagine it getting better from here. Well, the thing is, there's a lot more of the game than what you initially experienced. I mean, when you start playing it, you get, you know, what you've gone through so far. That is a pretty solid action game, and then it turns into an even prettier, very solid action game. But after that, then the game really opens up, and it sort of becomes, you know, open world you're able to find portals that move you uh, back and forth 
uh, between 8-bit and 16-bit. There be, there's a central <laughs> hub, and you're able to then you know, move between areas, sort of Metroid-style. And you know, it all leads to lots of uh, tricky puzzles, interesting situations. It's a little bit like the light world and dark world in The Legend of Zelda as far as you know, navigation and uh, getting puzzles and things like that. Wow, you're blowing my mind right now. Yeah, you're not too far away. I mean, there's definitely some difficult stuff you can get to. Like, you know, some of those later bosses I found to be a little bit aggravating, but it is definitely worth the payoff. Hmm. And, of course, the other thing that's notable about this, aside from having this dual worlds feature, is that the game sort of has a snarky sense of humor. <laughs> it definitely does. <laughs> but yes. I kind of love it. Do you now? Because I'm not really sure that I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, there's the shopkeeper in the game that you talk to. Yes. And I think that his dialogue is some of the funniest that I've ever seen in a video game. Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't really working that well for me personally. It has <laughs> lots of uh, fourth wall breaking stuff, lots of tongue-in-cheek humor. Uh, when you die, you get uh, insulted aplenty. <laughs> I forgot about that. But I don't know. I just wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of this sense of humor. Mm. And I think it you know, contrasts pretty starkly with the gameplay. I feel like that instead of really embracing its retro coolness, I feel like it's sort of kind of you know, mocking it instead. <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't get that at all. I just kind of, to me, it's like my sense of humor. And I think that's why I enjoy it so much. I can understand that. And I think that a lot of people, you know, will enjoy that sense of humor. Just for me, uh, it's really, I guess, not exactly my thing. <laughs> not that I think it, you know, takes the game down or anything like that. But uh, yeah, it just wasn't my favorite, I guess. Just to give a tiny bit of taste of what he talks about, like you can get him on some dialogue rant where all of a sudden he'll tell you a story that's like, I don't know, 10 boxes of dialogue. With, with... Oh, so you tried to open the cabinet, huh? Well, there's that. But then there's also <laughs> the, when you just kind of ask him to tell you a story. And almost in every level, he'll tell you this like long-winded story that has nothing to do with the game. And I don't know, I find myself entranced by them. <laughs> well, there is lots of uh, interesting stuff at the very least. So have you gone through the whole spiel trying to open the cabinet? Oh yeah, it's pretty funny. Have you gotten to the spot where he's not in the shop? And what happens if you try to open the cabinet? <laughs> no. Okay, well, keep an eye out for that. It's a, There's a completely different spiel you get when you get to that point. Amazing. So, uh, yeah, just uh, keep your eyes open. Yeah, I'm ready for it. So, yeah, regardless of what I think about the sense of humor, I would say the game is you know totally fun. It does end up getting pretty challenging, even though you know the first couple of levels are kind of on the easy side. And especially if you want to grab all the hidden collectibles, that can be a, a bit of a task for sure. Uh, have you been going after all those... Uh, shiny sparkling spinning green collectibles i gotta be honest i went after the first couple and then i got to one that i was like forget it <laughs> <laughs> i just decided you know what this is gonna be pretty tough so you know i might go back at some point try to get those medallions but you know i think there's 45 and yeah at least uh, i think i've collected four at this point so we'll see how about you I think I've been collecting all of them I've encountered so far, but yeah, there's no harm in waiting till later on. You know, right now at the point you're at, there's no way for you to go back and collect anything that you've missed. But you know, once you get to this later section of the game and it suddenly opens up and everything's interconnected, then you can you know go forward and go backward and go over the place and try to use your new skills to get stuff, and uh, that definitely becomes fun. I'm just amazed at how much they've packed into the game. I'm kind of blown away at how they've made the two visual styles mesh together and had all those puzzles that work out in such clever ways. You know, there's lots of really, really cool stuff done in this game. 
Yeah, it's fun, and it just, you know, again, it kind of reminds me of a game that was lost in the uh, ages. Yeah, it might seem that way now, but, you know, when you get to all this other stuff, it's like, no way they could have done this back in the day. <laughs> well, that's cool to know that's in there. What have you thought about uh, the bosses? Have any of them been especially tough for you? You know, I've only encountered, like, three or four, and, you know, honestly, except for the last one I just played, which was the, I don't know, I don't want to give any spoilers, but a golem. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. That was about. the first one that, that actually killed me. It took me two or three tries. Hmm. But I feel like the difficulty is just about right. I actually found the first ones kind of easy, but, you know, you kind of yeah, want it yeah, to they be were. like that. So. Yeah, they definitely ease you into it. The first boss I really had trouble with is the one you're about to get to that's in the mushroom forest. So uh, we'll see how that goes for you. <laughs> I also like how the shopkeeper kind of prepares you for the boss fight. Kind of. He acts like he's going to, but then usually the things he tells you are almost totally useless. <laughs> but it's kind of funny because he mocks you. <laughs> right. <laughs> if that's your thing. <laughs> anyway, you know, little criticisms aside, I do really, really like this game and uh, totally recommend it. I'm very interested to see how it all comes together and uh, how everything concludes because I've been having a great time so far and I really look forward to seeing the rest of the game. Oh, and I'm really enjoying the soundtrack. What do you think? Yeah, totally. Going back to what you were saying about it being you know, Ninja Gaiden-esque earlier, yeah, the music is certainly one of those things that has that very Ninja Gaiden-y quality. So yeah, gotta agree with you there. Yeah, it's killer. <laughs> so two thumbs up from you as well? Yeah, I thought you'd pick up my killer joke, but it's alright. Mm. Ninjas, killing. Sorry, you're just too deep for me. <laughs> if you say so. Alright, well, moving on then. Another game that I've been playing on Switch is SNK Heroines Tag Team Frenzy. <laughs> oh, I have not played this. Tell me about it. Well, this is a tag team fighting game featuring some of the fan favorite female SNK characters, mostly from their King of Fighters franchise, which is in turn from series like Fatal Fury, Art of Fighting, and Samurai Showdown, all of which probably mean very little to anybody who's under 30 years of age. <laughs> now, this game looks like it has you written all over it. Well, I mean, I do enjoy a good fighting game. I have been a fan of many of SNK's titles in the past. And so in that regard, yes, it's something I was definitely looking forward to trying out. Though I have to say, many of the characters are newcomers that first debuted in King of Fighters 14, which was never released on Nintendo Systems, mm. so I'm not that familiar with uh, some of them. Anyway, the thing you should know about this game is that it is definitely not your typical fighting game, and it's not really what I've come to expect from something with the SNK logo on it. I mean, it looks like King of Fighters, but it actually plays very influenced by Smash Brothers in a lot of ways, but not necessarily in good ways. Like, instead of having your typical special moves, you know, quarter circle forward or whatever, it just has a special move button, which, you know, in and of itself, that's okay. However, your special moves are limited by a meter. You have this meter, and every time you do a fireball or whatever, it goes down. And after you throw maybe three fireballs, you can't do any more special moves, at least any that do any damage, until it fills back up a little bit more. Uh, there's also a block button, which, you know, isn't something that SNK fighting games tend to do. So while it feels natural in Smash Brothers, it felt, you know, totally unintuitive to me in a King of Fighters type of game. And then on top of that, there's no crouching. You can't even do ducking attacks. So between the limited special moves and no low attacks, the moveset to me just seemed a lot more limited than I was expecting. I've never heard of a fighting game without crouching. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty weird, really. Yeah. 
I mean, on the plus side, you can tag in your partner at almost any time. And you can also get items that you can use in battle, and some of them fill up that special move meter. Some of them, you know, knock your opponent into the air. Some of them cause damage to your opponent. Uh, but there aren't any, you know, tag team special moves, as far as I can tell, like there are in Capcom's tag team fighting games. In fact, you share the same life meter, so all that happens when you tag characters is, you know, aside from getting access to a different move set, is each character does have a different meter for special moves. So if you run out with one character, you can tag in the other one, then you can use special moves with her, and then you can, you know, tag out uh, the other one because their meter fills up faster when they're not the active character. You know, another thing that's interesting about it is that you don't win just by depleting your opponent's life meter. You actually have to use a special finishing move that consumes like five blocks off your special meter. However, it can be blocked, so your best bet is to suck out all your opponent's health, stun them, and then use your finishing move, which again, unfortunately, does not involve the tag team partner. It's just sort of done with a single character. Mm-hmm. So on the plus side, the game is easy to pick up and play. The graphics are pretty good. Uh, on the negative side, the load times are kind of bad. It's like, you know, about 15 seconds per fight. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's some of the uh, longer load times I've experienced on Switch. Yeah, no kidding. And then another thing that's pretty weird about the game is the characters, or rather, the costumes they're wearing. Like, you know, I'm familiar with a bunch of these characters, but they default to these really ridiculous outfits. Like, I know my Shiranui from Fatal Fury. She's one of my favorite SNK characters. And instead of being in her red ninja garb, she defaults to a cow pattern bikini and is wearing horns and cow ears and a tail. <laughs> uh, sounds like Halloween for you last year. <laughs> Don't you wish. <laughs> Leona, the soldier, shows up in giant cat paws on both her hands and feet. And uh, Terry Bogard is also in the game, and suddenly he's been turned into a woman, a sexy woman for some reason. If you ever had fantasies about uh, Terry Bogard being a sexy woman, this game is definitely for you. <laughs> nope, but uh, Barry Burton. <laughs> uh, sorry, wrong company. Mm, right. So the traditional outfits are all in the game as unlockables, and it's not too hard to unlock them, but it's really weird to focus on these familiar characters, but kind of make them unrecognizable from the start. Yeah, it's a weird choice. <laughs> yeah, and I guess... Probably in conjunction with that, you know, maybe that's why this mode is in the game, is that in addition to the fighting, there are lots of unlockables, accessories and things you can use to dress up your character and then pose them in a variety of positions. You know, you can choose a ton of different backgrounds. Uh, you can put stamps on it. You, know, you can make them wear glasses or bracelets or ribbons or pixel art <laughs> tattoos. And then, yeah, you can pose them in this photo mode. So, you know, it's like half a fighting game and then half like some voyeuristic photo mode. And I feel like the dev team spent as much time you know, putting that in the game as they did <laughs> the actual fighting. So mm. it's all very strange. What do you think the demographic for this game is, Chris? Do you think they're aiming at like the DOA extreme crowd or what? Yeah, probably. I mean, I can tell they're going for a more casual focused market by the way that it is, you know, very simplified and very accessible. But yeah, clearly with the costumes and the all-female roster, I think they're also going for people who uh, just want to see uh, the ladies get down and uh, beat each other up. <laughs> <laughs> and then pose them and photograph them wearing all sorts of weird costumes. And who doesn't want that? Well, for a full-price Switch title, I think you would really have to be into it to want to take the plunge, you know? <laughs> I'm not going to touch that with a right Joy-Con, Chris. Well, 
Regardless, I just feel like this game is full of bizarre choices. There were a lot of ways the devs could have gone one way or another, and it feels like, for the most part, they just made the odd choice most of the time. <laughs> uh, sometimes there's nothing wrong with the odd choice. Well, you know, I'm sure there are people who will enjoy this game, but for me, I really, unfortunately, can't give it a recommendation. Mm, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah, it is. So let's move along to uh, another recent release. One that I understand you've been playing, Pete. Uh, I would like to hear about what you think of Into the Breach on Nintendo Switch. Yeah, Into the Breach. I've uh, been playing that, picked it up last week. I think I picked it up almost immediately after it was announced on the uh, Indie Showcase. And I can tell it was some sort of isometric strategy game featuring mechs versus monsters. But other than that, I didn't really have a good feel about what the game is. So what else should I know about it and uh, how would you like it? Yeah, as you mentioned, it's sort of a bleak tactic style game. Now, first of all, is it all turn-based or is it real-time strategy? It is turn-based. Okay. No real-time strategy, which, you know, is, I think, usually more my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. You know, what's funny about this one is it actually starts off at the end of the world. Mm. If you've seen the sort of the game art for this game, there's sort of this image of a mech looking off into like a pile of rubble. And that's literally where the game starts. So it's the end of the world. But there's also a time travel element to the game, right? Yeah, yeah I'm getting to that. <laughs> so you start off on this screen looking at this pile of rubble, and you basically learn that this is the end of the world. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, let's reset the time continuum, you know, step into the breach. So essentially that's kind of a big part of the story mechanic is that you mm -hmm. are able to, in the future, you know, jump time. So, you know, if things don't work out, you can always go back in time and start where things were okay. So does it actually play out in the battles? Can you actually, oh, if, if this battle isn't working out the way you want to, you can return to a previous point in the battle and try again? Yeah, it does. Each level that you play, there's actually a mechanic where you can, one turn that you take, if it doesn't go the right way, you can actually reset it before you commit to that round. Okay. You can't undo a previous round, but you can go, you know what? I don't like how this all played out. I'm going to reset one round. Again, that's only once per level you're in. Okay, understandable. So uh, you have to use it pretty sparingly. Yeah, I can understand. If you paid it more than that, I'd probably break the game. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, just to give you a quick overview... Essentially, you start with three units, and it's a combat mech. You and your units. It's kind of your traditional combat mech. You also get a cannon mech, and you get an artillery mech. Of course, they all kind of have different variables. Artillery mech kind of shoots these lob shots, and they do different things. They actually like will push enemies away, and that becomes advantageous if you like push somebody into a river. They just get washed away, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Convenient. I did see that there are plenty of more varieties, but you have to unlock them. So essentially, you start with these three, and then um, as you kind of meet requirements and earn these coins, when you reset back to the beginning, you can then use them to unlock other mechs. So oh, okay. kind of curious to see how that works and what else you can unlock. I will say the difficulty in this game is really tough, mm. but there is three modes, so you can put it on easy, normal, or hard. I went with normal. Anyway, so when you start off, there's four islands. Island one has eight regions on it. Okay. And then each region is like a four-turn match. These games are really quick. They only last about, I'd say, 15 minutes max, but probably less than that if you're kind of plowing through it. It sounds kind of long for only four turns. Well, you know, it's like a tactics game. You kind of want to spend your time looking at all the different options. 
in a lot of ways, it kind of reminded me of Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle in the sense that you can kind of see where the enemies are telegraphing their moves. That's interesting. And then what you can do is you can actually interrupt those so that instead of attacking a building, the enemy gets, you know, pushed two squares to the right and now they're attacking their own enemy unit. Yeah. So you can strategically get them to attack each other and... I don't know. There's a lot of strategy that comes to play in that way. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so mainly the main objective is to outlast the enemy, but there's also some specific objectives like blow up a certain target, blow up a dam. Damn. You know, and if you <laughs> if you blow up the dam, it actually is part of the level. So all of a sudden, a row of tiles gets turned into water and then anything standing in the way dies yeah just wipes them out huh yeah and then there's also like certain missions where it's like destroy a specific enemy that's you know extra tough some levels have you know bonus objectives you know there's one like where a pod drops onto the screen and you need to go collect that with one of your mechs and if you can collect it then at the end of the level you'll get some bonus items that were in it Uh uh-huh then one level, there was even like an additional artillery unit that I got just for that level. Mm-hmm. I had to keep it alive, but it was really nice because I was able to get like an extra attack out of it. Well, anyways, so back to the story. Each island that you get to is led by a different leader, it seems. And they, they kind of issue your commands. They're kind of your, your military leader for that level. All right. And that kind of gives the game some charm. You also get to pick pilots for each of your mechs. But then they can also die, but they do have personalities. So if you find ones you like, when you restart the game, you can usually pull in a pilot that you want to carry on in your mission. And do they have different stats or attributes or affect the gameplay in any way? They do have different stats and attributes. Like some of them have like, you know, they get extra bonus points for killing people and (laughs) stuff like that. The first one you start off with is a human. The one I got after that was an AI. Hmm. So they definitely had different personalities. The human was cracking jokes. The AI was like just kind of giving robot speak, but it also in some ways was kind of funny, even though it wasn't intended to be funny. Mm-hmm. I see. I also thought it was kind of funny that, you know, some of the levels, you're trying to protect these buildings from getting destroyed. And uh, if you let a few get kind of damaged at the end of the level, you know, if you do it good, they'll say like, oh, yay, thanks, we're saved. And then other times it's like, thanks, I guess. My family's dead. Hmm. That kind of stuff. So, <laughs> well, that certainly makes it sound different from your typical, you know, turn-based strategy game. You know, most of those it's like, oh, wipe out the enemy to win. And this one sounds like you're doing a lot more uh, defensive stuff. Yeah, there is, and uh, yeah, it ends up becoming this battle of like, do you let your units take the damage, or do you let these buildings take the damage, and how much damage can you allow to happen? Right, right. You know, you want to protect the buildings because if you let them die, your grid power goes down too low, and then you can lose. So Hmm. you can kind of lose in a couple different ways. One is not completing the mission. One is getting all your mechs destroyed. And one is, you know, they just destroy a bunch of environmental stuff. I see. Yeah, so I think I mentioned this already, but you keep playing and unlocking stuff. And uh, so when you die, and and you will die because eventually you'll fight things that are just too hard, you get to start over again and you get to bring the coins you got with you. And I think when you unlock more mechs, you're able to, you know, get further in the game because you're stronger. Okay. So this whole time continuum loop is like in your advantage. Uh, I see. But in general, you know, in some ways it kind of reminds me of a darker version of Advance Wars Days of Ruin. That was already a little dark. Yeah, well, it definitely has some of the grit, but it, it's not 
terribly dark. Like, it's not, you know, you're not seeing people die or anything. But you do see, like, when a building gets attacked, it tells you, like, 109 casualties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're, you're like, oh, my God, I just, I just, I let the monster just attack this building. And what do I care? But somebody's family died. Shouldn't have done that, Pete. <laughs> Shouldn't have let that happen. Anyhow, I'm really enjoying it. I feel like it's kind of the perfect handheld game. In the sense that you can kind of pick it up and play it, and you can probably play two levels in 20 minutes if you know what you're doing and you're trying to really crank through it. Mm -hmm. It is one of those games where you can get lost, you can just sit and like analyze every situation. You know, you get to place your units where they start out, so if you play through it and you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that, it almost makes you want to just start over. A lot of times the missions, you barely beat them, but as long as you complete it with like one surviving mech, it still counts. And a lot of times it's just because the time ran out and the enemy didn't kill you and they didn't kill enough buildings. So uh, I see. you don't always kill all the enemies right. and they'll retreat back into the ground or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's a little frustrating at times, but I kind of like the difficulty. I feel like you could always turn it to easy if you really want to just try to play through it and see how that goes. I'm going to kind of continue on normal and see how far i can get but so far i highly recommend it if you're into tactic style turn-based strategy games all right good to know i'm pretty particular about which turn-based strategy games i play so i'm not sure i'll check this one out but uh, definitely sounds like it has some interesting features yeah it definitely does and uh the company that made this um is also the company responsible for faster than light ftl oh okay and so you know i think in general, they make some quality stuff, and if you like that game, I would also recommend this. All right, good to know. That takes care of our game impressions. Let us move along to some news. So, first up in the news this week, Nintendo had a little video presentation that provided new details of Dragalia Lost. That, of course, being Nintendo's next mobile game, which hits on September 27th for both iOS and Android. Pete, did you happen to check out their presentation? Nope. But I did watch the story trailer that they just released. Aha, so you know all about how it is set in the uh, kingdom of Alberia, and your main character is this prince who can transform into a dragon, huh? Uh, if you say so. (laughs) Well, I do say so. And you can uh, team up with several allies to go on a quest to restore the sacred shard, which protects the world from monsters. Ah, cool. Yeah, so this is an action RPG, you can team up with like 60 different characters to add to your party. I mean, you can only have four characters in your party at once, but there are a vast number of characters to choose from. There are four character classes, attack, defense, support, and healing, as well as eight weapon types and five elemental affinities. And of course, they can all get their own dragon transformations too. Uh, And in addition to just teaming up with CPU characters, you can also team up with up to three other human players. So you can have full-on multiplayer. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's definitely a good feature to have. Uh, Of course, you know, the bigger question, you know, beyond the story and stuff is... How does it play? And, you know, judging from what they showed in the presentation, it looks like you mostly move around by dragging an arrow on the screen to explore the environment and also to avoid hazards. And then you can attack by, uh, you know, tapping in the vicinity of enemies. You can also execute special moves by tapping on those icons, and then you can swipe to dodge enemy attacks, which, at least in the case of bosses, seem to be indicated by these big red areas on the ground underneath your characters. So you got to swipe and get out of the way. 
Of course, while you're doing this exploring and combat, you collect these crystals, which then allow you to temporarily transform into dragon form, and there are many of these dragon forms to acquire. Obviously, I haven't gone hands-on with this yet, but, you know, all that stuff sounds pretty cool. Seems like a reasonably deep and fun action RPG for a mobile device. Yeah, definitely. It actually looks very pretty as well. Yeah, the graphics are definitely nice for a handheld game. Uh, also, there is this HQ building feature where you get to customize and sort of create your own headquarters. And by building things there, you can enhance certain character attributes or acquire more materials. And, you know, you use all that stuff to power up your party members. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here, a lot of depth that uh, seems pretty promising. Yeah, and this is kind of a, you know, as far as Nintendo's foray into handheld gaming, this is kind of the first of this nature, it seems like, right? Uh, yeah, they certainly haven't done anything quite like this before. You know, it's not their first original offering since we already got uh, Mitomo. Mm. But uh, yeah, you know, this is a totally new IP. They're teaming up with a new developer that you know is known for making good mobile offerings. So that all certainly sounds promising. You know, the big question for me, though, is... How much are microtransactions going to be a part of the game? Because mm-hmm. this is, of course, free to play. But summoning plays sort of a big role, it seems. If you want to have stronger characters, stronger dragons to transform into, better items, you're going to have to go through this summoning process, and that's where you're going to have to cough up cash. You can use you know, in-game currency that you earn by completing quests and playing through the game, Or you can do it by using a special item called Diamantium, which you purchase using actual real money. (laughs) And there was a quick glimpse of that in the preview video. You can get, for example, 980 Diamantium for $20. Mm. Sounds like unobtainium. (laughs) Now, how much does 980 Diamantium get you? How many things do you get to summon? That remains to be seen. Is there a spending cap? That also remains to be seen. Is spending $20 on 980 Diamantium worth it? Is it pay to win? We don't know yet. But, you know, anytime there's a game like this with a gotcha mechanic, and it seems like they just want you to keep putting in more and more money to try to get these better, stronger characters, you know, it kind of raises a big question mark in my mind. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. That being said, I think because it's free, I'll definitely give it a shot and see what I think of it. Oh yeah, me too, me too. I mean, I'm definitely curious. I'm very interested. I've already pre-registered. I want to see what it's all about. I will definitely be playing this game when it comes out on September 27th. But uh, yeah, there is just that little you know red flag showing up in the back of my mind saying, you know, be careful. This might be easy to spend lots and lots of money on. So we'll see. We shall see. But I'm going to definitely approach it with uh, an optimistic and open mind for sure. Cool. I yeah. mean, Animal Crossing also wants you to spend money, but I have spent tons of time on that one without spending a dime so this one could be the same way yeah i'm looking forward to this one and i hope that it's not soured by terrible uh in-game transaction indeed indeed but you know in a few weeks i guess we'll find out also in the news this week there's an update on shovel knight pretty much right after we finished last week's episode and made it go live the folks at yacht club made another announcement there is indeed as i was hoping a Shovel Knight physical edition coming out on Switch. What? Yep, it is true. It is coming out on April 9th. And that is also the same date that the King of Cards expansion comes out, as well as the Shovel Knight Showdown mode and the three-pack of the Amiibo. Amiibo! 
April 9th seems so far away, but... Uh... Yeah, it does. It really does. And especially since the King of Card Modes was supposed to be out in the first quarter of 2018. Oh. That means it's being pushed back more than a year from its original date. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a substantial pushback. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're already in the third quarter now, so we knew that wasn't happening. But yeah, the fact that it's all the way to April 9th, well... That's obviously not ideal, but you know those of us who have been around a long time know it's much better to be delayed and have it come out when it's nice and good and polished and fun than to come out before it's ready. So I'm sure that, like everything else involved with Shovel Knight, it'll end up being spectacular and worth the wait, but yeah, it is a little bit uh, sad that we're going to have to wait another, what, seven months or so? Right. Well, you have to wait. Well, I mean, we all have to wait for King of Cards and uh, Shovel Knight Showdown and the uh, Amiibo. But uh, yeah, for the physical edition, yes, I will definitely be uh, waiting for that, and uh, we'll grab that as soon as it's available. But uh, hey, you know, patience pays off, I guess. Yes, indeed. (laughs) On the other hand, if you're looking for something to play on Nintendo Switch much, much sooner than that, the folks at Sega have announced that Valkyria Chronicles 1 is going to be coming out on Switch on October 16th for only $20. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this includes uh, all the DLC, and it's digital only. But for me, it's kind of crazy as far as I'm concerned, because that's dropping only a few weeks after Valkyria Chronicles 4 comes out. Yeah, that's really quick, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like that's sort of overkill. I mean, the two games play very similarly from what I've experienced. They have, you know, a very similar theme, similar stories, similar characters. And, you know, when I played the Valkyria Chronicles 4 demo, if someone had told me I was playing just some new levels from Valkyria Chronicles 1 in a scenario I hadn't encountered before, I would have been like, okay, that seems believable. Sure, why not? (laughs) So you're saying they're not all that different. They are not all that different. And I'm wondering, like, will people want to buy another Valkyria Chronicles game just a couple weeks after Valkyria Chronicles 4 hits later this month. I mean, for 20 bucks, it's like, that seems like a lot. I mean, I would think it might sell better if they spaced it out, you know, gave people a few months to play through Valkyria Chronicles 4, left them hungry for more. You know, is anyone going to actually, I'm sure some people will, you know, already have finished Valkyria Chronicles 4 in like three weeks. But uh, still, it seems to me like they would have benefited from waiting a little bit longer. Yeah, that'd be like releasing Advance Wars 1 and Advance Wars 2, like, you know, the same time frame. Yeah. I mean, granted, it's worked before. Nintendo once released two Zelda games on the same day, for example. <laughs> it's true, it's true. But, you know, this is not Zelda. This is not a proven commodity on Nintendo systems, so I kind of get the feeling it could underperform due to that. You know, on the other hand, I love Valkyria Chronicles 1. It is great. And if you do own Valkyria Chronicles 4 digitally and you want to get Valkyria Chronicles 1... They are giving a, a 25% off discount, so you can pick it up for only 15 bucks instead of 20 So there is that incentive there. The bottom line is, it's a fantastic game, and I'm very happy to see it coming to Switch. I just feel like, you know, if it had come out six months earlier, that would have been even better. Right. You know? Well, Valkyria Chronicles 1, Chris Hoffman 0. <laughs> I don't know. I'd say it's a win-win. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. But speaking of uh, you know older games that are making a comeback on Switch, I also wanted to briefly mention, you know, I noticed this as I was browsing the eShop earlier today, that the Scribblenauts 2 pack containing Scribblenauts Unlimited and Scribblenauts Unmasked comes out in only a couple of weeks. You know, these are ports of the Wii U games bundled together for 40 bucks, 
and it seems kind of weird, again, releasing these older Scribblenauts games just a few months after Scribblenauts Showdown came out to seemingly no fanfare, but these were, again, very good games, and if you didn't pick them up on Wii U or 3DS, it might totally be worth getting them on Switch. Yeah, absolutely. And those are great games if you haven't played them, or even if you have. Yeah, I mean, they were really good. I mean, the one thing I wonder about Switch is, you know, will it be quite as good without having the dual screens that you had on 3DS or Wii U? Sure. But even so, you know, they were very, very charming games. And if you've ever been curious, been thinking, oh, I should pick up a Scribblenauts game, be fun to play. Yeah, those would probably be, uh, you know, good ways to go. Just my hunch. Indeed. One other thing I wanted to mention in this week's news is that there's another podcast I wanted to give a shout out to. That is the Fully Charged Podcast. This is a new Mega Man podcast focusing primarily on the new Mega Man Fully Charged TV show, but it also covers all kinds of Mega Man news. It is hosted by occasional Power Pros contributor David Oxford, as well as Brian Protodude Ostrin. Uh, you can find it currently on SoundCloud, and it will soon be available on iTunes if it isn't already. If you like the new Mega Man show or are a little curious about the new Mega Man show, you might want to go check it out. Wait a minute, Chris. Didn't you hate that show? <laughs> I did. I did, kind of. I thought it was you know, skewing a little young. But uh, hey, you know, these guys are approaching it with an open mind. And again, if you are curious to learn a lot more about it, it goes into way more depth than we did on here. Uh, again, I recommend you know, taking a look. All right, cool. Speaking of Mega Man, did you see that the demo for Mega Man 11 is now on the Switch eShop? Oh, I did. I definitely did. In fact, as soon as Capcom put out the announcement, I downloaded it and then played through it like four times. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I found it really tough. <laughs> Tougher than I was expecting, I guess is the best way to say it. Well, were you playing on normal mode? I imagine you were, right? I was, yes. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is, if you do find normal mode a little bit tough, you can try the easier difficulties. And it's not really a bad way to do it, because you can kind of like be like, oh, this is kind of what the level's about, and then you'll be ready to tackle it in normal mode. Personally, it's one of the same levels I played at E3, so I already knew what I was up against. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I played at E3, I made it to the boss, but he kicked my butt. I mean, it came down to the wire, but I ended up losing. However, this time in this demo, I was ready for him. I had my E-Tank ready to go, and I kicked Blockman's butt. So I finally feel redeemed after uh, my defeat back at E3. So that made me very happy. But yeah, it gives me nothing but uh, you know good feelings about this game. It is tough, but I think it's also fair. Also, this demo, as opposed to the E3 demo, you actually get to try out some of the special weapons. Uh, Fuse Man's weapon is in there, and so is Impact Man's, I believe. So, uh, yeah, I had a great time with it, personally. Yeah, the one thing I didn't quite understand was the whole mechanic where you can kind of slow down time and charge something. Can you explain what was going on there? Well, that's the dual gear system. You can uh, hit the L button, I believe, to temporarily go into a powered-up state, or you can hit the R button to go into temporary slow-mo, where you still move faster than the enemies. And that's sort of, you know, the big new play mechanic that's introduced in this game. If you use either of them for too long, you overheat and don't have access to those abilities anymore. But yeah, the trick is, you know, use those when you're in a pinch. When I was fighting the boss and I was having a bit of trouble taking out Blockman when he got into his giant form, I used the power gear, so I powered up my shot and was able to inflict more damage on him. And yeah, it can definitely help. I mean, if you're a Mega Man purist, you might want to try doing it without using those, but you know they're there because the game is tough, like you were saying. So, um, yeah, there's good reason for it to be in there. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, I was wondering what it was charging. I guess that it makes sense that it's an overheat. Anyways, yeah, I did use it to my advantage to destroy a couple enemies that are kind of time-based, and uh, it worked really well. Yeah, I mean, like any Mega Man game, you know, practice makes perfect. So uh, play this demo, and you'll be all ready for the 
final game when it comes out on October 2nd. I personally can't wait. Yeah, I wasn't frustrated at all by this demo. It definitely is challenging, but in a good way. I tend to agree. All right, let us move along from the news and answer a few listener letters. This first one comes via Twitter from at Isle Jeffrey, and he writes, Hey guys, I'm a big fan of your podcast and look forward to listening every week. I have a question related to Metroid-style games. Since recently picking up Hollow Knight on the Switch, I'm honestly enjoying it more than Metroid. What Metroid-style games do you believe are actually better than Metroid? Hmm. What do you think, Chris? Is there a Metroid-style game better than Metroid? Oh, man. For me, that one is really tough. Even after all these years, I kind of feel like, personally, Super Metroid sets the standard, in my opinion. It was just the perfect marriage of graphics and music and atmosphere and level design and play mechanics and difficulty. And it's really, really hard to say that anything is better than that. Better than the original Metroid? Sure, I can name all kinds. But to me, Super Metroid is still, you know, the standard bearer. Probably the closest thing on Nintendo systems for me would be like, you know, Castlevania Aria of Sorrow on the Game Boy Advance. But I'm still, you know, pretty much a tried and true Metroid fan. What about you, Pete? You know, same. It's hard to say. You know, in his note, it says better than Metroid. And it's hard to know which Metroid he's referring to. If you're talking about the first one, I don't think... (laughs) I think Hollow Knight might be better than the first Metroid. (laughs) Games have come a long way since the original Metroid. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Super Metroid is a whole other thing. And it does hold, like, a special place. I don't really think any game can really compete with that. That being said, there are other games out there. You know, I think we mentioned last week Axiom Verge is right up there. Yes. There are some games that are similar you know hollow knight i've also played it's amazing and i do see where he's coming from so you know i don't know if there's anything better but there definitely are a lot of love letters out there to metroid yeah there's a lot of stuff that uh, certainly comes close absolutely this next one comes from listener brian booth who writes hey guys i love beardy kong's new segment (laughs) i'll have to think of a question for the hoff sometime soon Speaking of beards, I think that we should add a rule to the milk drinking game that we have to do a shot every time you guys reference facial hair. And maybe something every time Hoff mentions his abiding fear of horses. <laughs> uh, he's definitely not wrong about the facial hair. I feel like I don't actually talk about horses that no. often except for on that one episode. Yeah, it was like just riddled with horse talk. I'll, I'll try to keep it to a minimum. But he's not wrong about the facial hair, that's for sure. (laughs) Uh, His letter continues, I enjoyed the chat about your dream video game destinations. I'd personally love to hang out in some of the older Zelda locales. Sailing the sea with Tetra and her pirates, riding the rails with Conductor Link and Ghost Zelda, and flying the friendly skies around Skyloft. But how could you mention Mario Odyssey without mentioning the Seaside Kingdom? I mean, it's meant to be a resort destination. (laughs) Well, he's got a point there. He does, and I guess my response is that I burn easily? I don't know. Maybe it's because I live near a beach, so it's not as enticing to me. I'm not sure. (laughs) I've got a little secret to admit, Chris, and I I hope I can just share this with you. Nobody else is listening, right? Right, right. I just started playing Mario Odyssey again recently. I kind of just stopped playing it back when it came out. Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, I just got to the Seaside Kingdom, and I'm totally into visiting that. So I would (laughs) add that to my list now. I see, I see. Well, on the other hand, you know, when it comes to the Zelda destinations, you know, Skyloft is a really good one that I, you know, didn't really think about. But I did think about some other ones. And when we were doing that topic, I thought, you know, maybe Coalent Island from Link's Awakening would be a good one to visit. Seems like a very interesting place, uh, you know, even if it is all imaginary created by a giant flying whale. Yeah, you'd basically be living in Link's dream. So, sure. No, you're living in the Windfish's dream. Oh, right. <laughs> 
giant flying whale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Love it or leave it, as they say. <laughs> right. Our last letter for this week comes from listener Blake, who writes, Listening to your latest episode, I was blown away by the amount of indie Switch titles you had good things to say about. I mean, wow. And who knows how many other good ones there are that neither of you have played. Gotta love the Switch. It makes me really wish I had the time on my hands that I used to back in high school and in my early 20s, because I'd be one happy camper right now. It also really makes me wish there was an all-you-can-play subscription on the Switch for like $20 per month that included many of these games so I could afford to play them all. P.S. I wish I did have rules for a Power Pros pod milk drinking game, but really, it's more of me just giggling anytime you say one of the words on the list I sent you. <laughs> I feel like you can really just make the drinking game whatever you want it to be, so <laughs> just have fun with that. Perhaps so, but you know, he was the one that came up with it originally. But you know, one of these days, one of these days, I think we'll have to, you know, put down all the rules uh, on paper. Maybe you'll put that on your blog or something. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. We'll figure it out. What do you think about this idea for a subscription-based service that would uh, give you broader access to the vast downloadable title library on Switch? You know, it's a great point. The other consoles have something similar to that. And I think that with Nintendo's service, I wouldn't be surprised to see something eventually come out where, you know, you have the option to get like one or two free games a month that happen to just be, you know, some of the indie games that maybe have been on the system for a while and most people bought them. But if you haven't, you get the chance to play them for free. Yeah, it'd be nice to see something like that add to Nintendo Switch Online. I mean, business-wise, I don't know if it'd be possible to really, you know, maintain something like that that would be beneficial to all the parties involved. But uh, certainly it's an interesting point. It would be a cool way to try out more of this stuff. Uh, Like he says, you know, there are so many games out there that it's hard to keep track. And there are plenty that even the two of us haven't played. So it's definitely an interesting thing to consider. Yeah, I'm just lucky that Chris buys all the games that I play, so... What? I do? Um, yeah. You didn't know that? I've been using your credit card. Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> okay, that takes care of the letters for this week. So, uh, is it time for an intermission, Pete? Um, not on your life. Oh? First, it's time for Hassle the Hop. Oh, I should have known. <laughs> All right. You ready? As ready as I'm ever going to be. All right. Video game professor Hoffman... If you could commission any developer to create a sequel to any game in the Nintendo library, what would it be and why? Oh boy. Huh, I have a couple ideas for this one. <laughs> Are we talking strictly first party stuff? I think to make this in the interest of time, yes. I think we'd have to go with just Nintendo first party. Well, somehow I would want somebody at Nintendo to dig up the rotting, decomposed corpse of uh, Asmic Ace. Aki, whatever they were called, the folks that used to make those great N64 wrestling games. And you can see where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> Obviously, I want to find those guys and have them make a sequel to pro wrestling. Holy doodle. I mean, you know, the mechanics on those N64 games were great. Everybody loved those. You know, it had such great but simple strike and grapple mechanics, had those counters on the shoulder, and they were super fun in multiplayer mode. But then, you know, after that N64 era, they kind of went away. They got replaced by other wrestling games. So I'd like to find out what happened to those guys, bring them back, and reunite them with the Nintendo Pro Wrestling IP. And we have a return of the Amazon and Starman and Kincorn Karn and all of those guys. And of course, you have to totally you know, beef up the roster, you know, give us you know, a brand new batch of 50 characters or whatever, give us this giant, massive wrestling game, throw in RPG elements, all that good stuff. But yeah, I'd like to find those guys that made those classic wrestling games 
and uh, bring them back to do something new and unique and special with Nintendo. That's where I'm going with that one. Mm-hmm. That's a very good answer, Chris. I would almost say a winner is you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I got one more bonus for you, though. If we went third party, I would say that the folks at Way Forward, Konami should hire those guys to make a brand new Castlevania game. Between Castlevania coming out on Netflix and being a part of Smash Brothers, there's never been a better time to do something with the Castlevania IP. And when it comes to you know Metroid-style games, there's pretty much no one better than Way Forward. So I think that would be a perfect marriage. If we're going to do third party, that's what I would do with them. Uh, that is also a very good one, Chris. And with games like, you know, uh, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon coming out, it's like I feel like they're beating Castlevania at their own game. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, too. You could give it to Integrates as well. They could probably do something pretty amazing uh, with the Castlevania IP, too. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's uh, those are my picks. I hope that answered your question. Uh, it certainly did. Thanks, Chris. All right, excellent. Well, in that case, it is definitely time for us to take an intermission, so let us do that, and then when we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is the remaining NES games that should be added to Nintendo Switch Online. Alright, we are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is the remaining NES games that should be added to Nintendo Switch Online. Of course, as we are recording this podcast, Nintendo Switch Online is scheduled to go live later this month, sometime towards the end of September, but so far Nintendo still has not divulged all the details. They're going to divulge them soon, I'm pretty sure. I mean, who knows, by the time this podcast goes live, maybe they'll have decided, oh, let's release all of these titles. But as it stands right now, we are promised 20 NES classics, which will be available if you subscribe to their service, all available without an additional fee, and all of them with some sort of online functionality. For the most part, that means it'll have online multiplayer, but it also might just mean that you can watch your friend playing online and then do some sort of controller sharing, basically, so you can pick up where your friend left off. And right now, as I said, we know what 10 of these titles are. They are Soccer, Tennis, Donkey Kong, Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers, Balloon Fight, Ice Climber, Dr. Mario, The Legend of Zelda, and Super Mario Brothers 3. It's a mighty fine list, Chris. It is not a bad list, but uh, like I said, there are still 10 more titles to be released right off the bat, and then there are going to be other games periodically announced after that. So uh, you know, even if we choose 10 titles here and Nintendo does not go with any of them, I suppose it's still possible that some of these could be released further down the line, You know, if we're really lucky. 
So with that uh, prologue, so to speak, out of the way, why don't we get into our lists of games we would like to see added to Nintendo Switch Online. Let's do it. Okay. Well, Pete, uh, why don't you kick us off? What would be the first game you would like to see made available as one of these classic NES games on the service? I think the very first game, and we mentioned about <laughs> we mentioned this game all the time, Chris. This is part of the Power Pros milk drinking game, I would imagine. I mean, it really is. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't even know what the game is, but uh, so why don't you tell me though? Well, I gotta say, pro wrestling seems perfect for this. Uh huh. Well, you know, I was just talking about that in your uh, Hassle the Hoff segment, saying I would love to see that game revived, and you know, we're probably not going to have a uh, you know console revival made by Asmic Ace Aki anytime soon. Uh, yes, absolutely, I would settle for a uh, revived NES version available with Nintendo Switch Online with two-player online versus play. Yeah, this game just seems prime for multiplayer. Yeah, it's one of the best things about the game. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you people love playing multiplayer on it. I think the only thing that could be better is if you could play it with friends that aren't in your living room. Yeah, very, very true. It's got a great cast of characters. It's got great moves. It was totally mind-blowing for its day with its in and out of the ring action. But as you mentioned, it is something we have kind of beaten to death over our last several many episodes talking about this. So uh, yeah, that's probably all we need to say about it, huh? <laughs> that's probably enough. Okay, then. I think it would also just be nice to know that uh, Nintendo hasn't forgotten about it. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't had any presence on you know NES Classic or Virtual Console of any type. So it is kind of questionable as to whether it would ever even be a possibility. But uh, yeah, that's another great reason it would be awesome to have it on the service. Agreed. What about you, Chris? Well, let's see here. If we're talking about first-party titles, and I think that you know, they've already covered the best of the first-party titles already, another one I would be sure to include is ice hockey. And personally, I'm not like the biggest sports fan or the biggest ice hockey fan, but I know that ice hockey has a really big following. I remember having some tournaments for it back when you know, <laughs> both of us worked at NOA up in Seattle, and I think that would be an excellent one to bring back for Nintendo Switch Online. Yeah, absolutely. You're talking about the one that Nintendo made, right? First Party? Yep, yep. The First Party Ice Hockey game that was simply called Ice Hockey. Mm -hmm. Yep, I actually had that on my list as well. Ah, cool, cool. Of course, you know, that game was known for, you know, you could pick your three different body types. I think it was like, or was it four? The Slender... I'm pretty sure it was three. Fat, skinny, and normal. <laughs> totally. Fat guys for the win. It really was, you know, pretty basic mechanics, but there was a lot of, I mean, I remember playing it back in the day. And it being very competitive. Yes, totally. You know, in that same wheelhouse, I was also thinking maybe Blades of Steel might be the better option. Ah, that's you know definitely a good one. And I do love my Konami games. So, I mean, almost anything from Konami would be a great choice. You know, so far, there have not been any third-party games announced for the service. But that doesn't mean that there won't be. That doesn't mean that there could be. So, yeah, I think that's definitely one that you know should be up there for consideration. I mean, when it comes to, like, graphics and things, I think Blaze of Steel definitely had the edge. It had, you know, really great, you know, visuals and sound effects for an 8-bit game. And, of course, it had, you know, that up close and personal uh, part where you could beat each other up, which was always fun. That was my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that would be especially fun on online. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. <laughs> well, speaking of Konami games, I suppose it's no shocker at all that I'm going to suggest Contra. <laughs> this is another one that we bring up all the time. It's another one that is made for co-op play. It's another one that, for some reason, Konami just won't bring back. And out of all 
of the NES games I would want to see made available on the service. This is at the very, very top of my list. Contra is an all-time classic with great level design and great weapons, and it is so darn good in two-player co-op. You know, we talked about this one, of course, when we did our multiplayer-focused episode just uh, you know a few episodes back. So obviously, that would be a huge pick for me. Yeah, Contra would make perfect sense for this. You know, it's a run and gun. You almost really don't want to play the game single player. I mean, you can. It's just designed to be played two player. I feel the same way. Uh, And so, yeah, again, a game that lends itself perfectly to some sort of online multiplayer feature. Mm -hmm. I mean, Super C isn't a bad choice. You know, that was the one that we got on the NES Classic instead of Contra. Yep. But uh, it would certainly be way 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 behind contra when it comes to you know what would be my ideal choices for this service and really if that was on there and i've probably said this before that would be worth my 20 bucks right there alone (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally Uh, of course so would pro wrestling for that matter (laughs) now in that same exact wheelhouse i would like to see akari warriors Ah, interesting, interesting. Another run-and-gun title, this one with a top-down focus, this one from SNK. Yeah, and this one, you know, just playing it back in the day, it kind of captured my imagination. You know, it's top-down, you don't really get a ton of really detailed graphics, but what it lacks in sort of visual clarity, you kind of makes up for in, like, all the things you encounter as you're walking. You eventually, like, get to go in tanks. I think you might even uh, yes. get to go in boats. Am I, am I making huh. that up? Uh, no. Nah, I don't remember. I think it's just tanks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyways, there's just a lot going on. It's a fun co-op game. I can imagine just having a ton of fun playing that over online service. Now, would you go for the original or would you go for Akari Warriors 2 Victory Road? I think for me, I'd probably just go with the original. I don't really know the difference between them very well, but the original holds the special place in my heart. Okay. I guess the one thing against this one you know, being a likely candidate is that I believe it is included on the upcoming SNK Classics game coming out on Switch. Mm. So that could be a bit of a roadblock. But uh, like you said, it is definitely a fun co-op uh, run-and-gun shooter. What about you? Any other run-and-gun or beat-em-up style two-player games? Well, when it comes to beat-em-ups, I have a couple on my list. The first one being River City Ransom. Ah, that's a good one. And, of course, it's not just a beat-em-up. It is a beat-em-up with RPG elements. You can buy you know, tons of weapons and items and food and use it to increase your stats and learn new moves and enhance your characters and while that's fun solo it is even more fun you know doing it with a friend in co-op and of course would be even better with online co-op yeah i can imagine this game being really fun over online the multiplayer in this game is on point it's uh, one of the classics for sure yes absolutely uh what's next for you i think along those same lines i would have to go with double dragon 2 Ah, uh aha, yes, another one from Technos, and that's also on my list also. Yeah, Double Dragon, obviously a a classic beat-em-up series. When it comes to two-player beat-em-ups, there's pretty much nothing better on the NES. Yeah, there really wasn't. I think that that, to me, is like the de facto beat-em-up on the NES. I mean, there were other games that kind of, you know, obviously emulated the same concept, but Double Dragon 2 really nails it. Yeah, I mean, I really like the first Double Dragon, but... It only had alternating two-player as well as this uh, fairly limited versus mode, which would have been cool, except you both have to play as the same character every time, (laughs) which is very odd. So yeah, if you want to actually do some uh, cooperative uh, pounding of punks, Double Dragon 2 is an excellent way to do it, 
And I would say, yeah, certainly the, the best way to do it on the NES. Obviously, that was in the NES Classic, so you know that one you'd think have to be a very good potential inclusion for Nintendo Switch Online, but I guess we shall see. Mm-hmm. What about you, Chris? Any other uh, two-player co-op action games? The next one I would choose would be Shadow of the Ninja. Oh, I don't know if I'm that familiar with that one. Well, I mean, everybody knows about Ninja Gaiden. That is essentially the quintessential ninja game on the NES, Mm -hmm. as well as its sequels. But Shadow of the Ninja should not be overlooked. It was, I think, the first title by Natsume, and it is really, really good. It doesn't really feel like Ninja Gaiden. It has sort of a feel all its own, but it does have two-player co-op. You know, that's sort of the main thing, the main reason I would include it on here. But it's also just a really, really good game solo you know, you have uh, different weapons you can acquire. You can either get a sword, which can be powered up to different levels, or a sickle and chain. And, you know, they both have uh, different benefits. You can uh, hang from the ceiling and climb and uh, navigate levels that way. It's also just got, you know, some really cool-looking bosses. And I thought the graphics were spectacular for the NES. So yeah, that's a game that is often overlooked and is available on Virtual Console. But, yeah, I think it would be excellent to be on Nintendo Switch Online. Yeah, I don't think I've ever played that. I'm just looking at the box art now. Yeah, it is an excellent game. I mean, if you want to pick it up on your uh, Wii U or something, if you're curious, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. All right, good to know. Yeah, might want to wait and see if it's part of Nintendo Switch Online, which, you know, it's probably not, but it should be. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if it's not, just, you know, grab it on Wii U or something because it is totally worth, you know, the five bucks or whatever it costs. Totally. Uh, so what's next for you? So, Chris, I got a couple other sports games on here. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think for me, a classic would be Tech Mobile. Yes, yes, that is totally on my list as well. And again, it's not really my personal wheelhouse, but I think it would be an amazing addition for Nintendo Switch Online. And it's a game I remember people spending a lot of time with playing in multiplayer. Obviously, it made its way onto uh, the NES Classic. So, yeah, that would be a brilliant inclusion. Yeah, you know, you could give the nod to the NES Play Action Football, which of course was four-player. Yeah, and I thought of that too. I was also thinking of that one. Uh, it also has Nestor in it, which makes it a you know bit of a uh, personal favorite for that reason alone. But I got to believe, if you're just going to have one football game on the service, I would, I think, have to go with either Tecmo Bowl or Tecmo Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, that's the game that people remember from you know, right. back in the day. And it really boils football down to the most basic concept where you just pick plays. And if you happen to pick the same one, then you're going to shut them down before they even get started. It's a pretty fun concept and it's still true to this day. Mm-hmm. And especially playing online, you would have no idea what the other person is going to pick for their play. Well, unless you could still see the cursor or something. I don't know how that would work. But uh, yes, ideally, that would be a, a great improvement to add. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember how they tackle that. But yeah. Let's hope that works out. Yes. Uh, anyway, look at it, though. Hopefully that is under heavy consideration for being included in the lineup. Yeah, indeed. I think the, uh, the last sports game that I would personally add would be Baseball Stars from SNK. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that one was just a really fun title back in the day. And you know, I could be wrong, but I don't think that one is even on the, uh, the SNK Classics that's coming out in the near future. So, uh, you know, if it's not on there, perhaps it would have a good excuse for coming back. 
on uh, Nintendo Switch Online. But yeah, I don't remember a whole lot about the game. It's been such a long time since I played it, but I do remember it being really fun. Uh, probably the most robust baseball simulator by far on the NES. And you know anything like that that you can play with multiplayer, I think would be an excellent addition. Yeah, definitely. In that same vein, uh, another sports game I've got, if you can call it a sports, is uh, RC Pro-Am 2. Ah, RC Pro-Am 2. Okay. Yeah, now normally I would pick RC Pro-Am 1 because that was my preferred game and I didn't play too much of RC Pro-Am 2. Mm-hmm. If I remember right, it kind of came out late, late in the NES life. Super Nintendo was on the shelves and all that by then. But uh, it actually had a four-player feature. Oh, wow. And it was the sequel I I to uh, RC Pro-Am. Yes, of so course. I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, four-player game uh, in the vein of RC Pro-Am. That would be pretty excellent to be on the service. Uh, of course, that would have a little asterisk by it. Like, I have this little list after my list of 10 games I want to see called Licensing Hell. And, uh, yeah, RC Prom is definitely in there since it is developed by Rare and thus owned by Microsoft. And they are not giving us the keys to that classic library, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, that would be a great addition if it were possible. Yeah, I can pretty much all but guarantee it's not going to be on there. But, <laughs> yeah, boy, I would sure like it. Uh-huh, indeed. Well, one that I think might have a little bit better chance is Life Force from Konami. Uh-huh. You know, we already talked about a few great uh, Konami games that support multiplayer on the NES, and this is yet another one. Uh, this one being a sort of a follow-up to Gradius, an outer space shooter. But uh, again, it packed in a, uh, a two-player co-op mode where you could go through the six stages and take on the evil aliens and destroy their giant floating pharaoh heads and weird brains with arms and uh, skeletons with crazy looking eyeballs and, and all kinds of weird stuff like that yeah it had some uh, really great bosses some great power-ups and you know really i thought that game should have been on the nes classic instead of gradius just because it did have two-player co-op and gradius is okay but it's got two-player alternating and not uh, simultaneous play but uh, yeah i thought life force was great and so again would be an excellent one for uh switch online you betcha glad you agree (laughs) anything else for you one other one that qualifies as a sports game would be excite bike oh (laughs) that's a good choice uh thanks yeah even though the game wasn't actually technically multiplayer you did have the ability to like create levels which was kind of crazy back in the day being able to Mm -hmm. create your own level but you did race and compete against times and i think that oh yeah you know having that aspect being in an online game uh might actually be really fun yeah i think so i think you know being able to compete against your friends for the best time would be fun i think being able to create those levels and then you know share them with a friend online would also be a really really good inclusion so yeah i think for both those reasons that would be an excellent addition and uh, you know probably one that i would say has a good likelihood of happening one can hope <laughs> yeah what about you chris any more multiplayer or, or single player titles now well i guess we've gone through uh, nine of the ten games that were on my list those being contra life force shadow of the ninja river city ransom tecmo bowl ice hockey baseball stars double dragon 2 and pro wrestling uh, my last one number 10 would be gauntlet 2 ha that's a good one. Yeah, uh, this is another one that had a four-player mode. And, you know, the first game, it was two-player, and that was one of those weird ones that was originally released by Tengen and then got banished and didn't have the Nintendo seal of approval anymore. And so, you know, that was one that we would, like, never be allowed to talk about Nintendo Power back in the day because it was, you know, 
there was not an officially licensed version anymore. But Gauntlet 2 was released as an officially licensed title, I think uh, published by Mindscape. And I don't know really who owns the IP on that anymore. It, was it Midway or was it Atari? Does Warner Brothers own it? I don't really know. But I'd love them to figure that out and bring <laughs> it back and then have a four-player gauntlet game on the NES. I think that would be a ton of fun, just you know, exploring those uh, you know simple top-down 2D dungeons, collecting treasure, trying to find the exit, uh, you know, shooting your friend's food by accident or on purpose, <laughs> you know, running from death. It was all a lot of fun back in the day, and I think it would be great uh, on Switch. Yeah, plus you don't have to spend any quarters. Very true, very true. Actually, I want to say that that one had infinite continues, so you could like play as much as you wanted in uh, the NES version of Gauntlet 2. Unlike the first one, where you just you know played until you ran out of health, and then you were dead. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that takes care of my top ten picks. Uh, is there anything left for you? Yeah, I actually had uh, two more single-player games. Ah, okay. And of course, you know, that is a perfectly valid option. That'd be fun to do the controller sharing with, or just to watch your friends play, maybe. So uh, what are those? Yeah, so one is, uh, I'd like to see Punch-Out on the service. Okay, well, it's certainly an all-time great game. Yeah, I think it would just be fun to, like, be able to watch somebody else play and see how they, you know... I'd like to watch somebody beat Mike Tyson in real time. <laughs> I know, of course, I can watch uh, YouTube videos, but I think it would be more interesting to, like, be able to watch a buddy do it or hopefully also get the crap beat out of him. <laughs> okay. Uh, especially if it was you. Yes, I'm sure you would enjoy that tremendously. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, man, you totally missed that blink, and he wailed on you. <laughs> well, that could happen. Don't think it would happen with Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, but maybe the version featuring Mr. Dream could be a possibility. That's right. Yeah, of course, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out will probably never see the light of day again, but the Mr. Dream version will have to do. <laughs> and then my final game would be my favorite, Kid Icarus. Aha, uh-huh. of course. Yeah, I think that this game, you know, along with like how they're kind of talking about having Zelda... I think it would also be a game that people would enjoy watching other people play. You know, some sort of controller handoff. There was a hidden scoring system in that game that, you know, in the background, it literally tracks all the things you're collecting and stuff. And, you know, if they could somehow maybe surface that as like a leaderboard, I think that would be kind of a unique feature, too. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I guess if they add features like that, you know, maybe having some sort of uh, time attack in punch out you know see who could you know beat each opponent the fastest would be a really cool inclusion too yeah it makes me wonder what they are going to do with those games because you know adding online there's this whole other element of competition that they could include that i think could give a lot of longevity to some of these games yeah those are really really good points i mean i was pretty much focusing on things that would work well as uh, online multiplayer games but uh, yeah having leaderboards for stuff like that uh, that'd be really really fun indeed All right, well, those are some uh, excellent titles for consideration. Like I was saying, I kind of expect that Nintendo will announce the official list sometime in the very near future. And who knows, it could even be unveiled by the time this podcast goes live. You never really know with them. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we'll find out later this month. Hopefully some of these titles will be officially confirmed for the classics in Nintendo Switch Online. Yeah, you know, I was really surprised you didn't mention Urban Champion. (laughs) urban champion huh well it certainly does have the multiplayer dynamic that i am looking for in games for this service but on the other hand it's also completely terrible so uh, (laughs) yeah i think i'm gonna pass on that one myself uh yeah i really hope it's not one of the 10 i'd be kind of sad if one of the 20 slots goes to urban champion 
but uh, you never know. Yeah. The good news is that we'll be finding out soon what these really are. Yep, we shouldn't have too much longer to wait. Yeah. Okay, with that said, I do believe it is time to wrap up this episode of the podcast. But I think before we go, we do have time for one more thing. Hmm. I can't even imagine what it might be. Well, get this. It is a dramatic reading. You don't say. And this time, it is from a description in the Switch eShop of a game called Ayakashi Koigikyoku Forbidden Romance with Mysterious Spirit. Break this fate. Play the melody of love. Sweet and sour dramatic forbidden love story between a human and mythical spirit. Enjoy the voice of famous dubber Namoru Miyano, Ryohai Kimura, Shinosuke Tachibana, Natsuki Hane, Daisuke Hirakawa. Foxes are known as a mythic spirit in Japan as the tricking humans by turning into a human being. (laughs) Story. When the stars and the moon appeared in the sky, you went to visit the concert hall where the lower note echoes rhythmically with vibration. Tonight, the one playing music is the visual K-band, Fox Ear. All five unique members are wearing a Fox Ear. (laughs) Once you hear their voices, the Magatama, comma-shaped beads that you have on your neck beams out the light. This dazzling light made me lose my consciousness and taken back to Fox Ear's dressing room. As they pressure you to give them the Magatama, but as Magatama sends out the light again, as if to protect you. (laughs) Although the five members notice that they can't take it by force, they tried to make you fall for them to get Magatama. Wow. Sounds spicy. Oh, I'm sure it is. And uh, from what I've heard about that game, the in-game text itself is just as interesting as the eShop description. Hmm. Now, I'm going to take your word on that one. I have not played it myself, but I read a couple reviews, and that's what I heard. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, if that sounds like fun to you, uh, please look forward to it. <laughs> look forward to it, I shall. <laughs> All right, it is definitely time to bring this week's episode to a close. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, the Hoff, on Twitter at Chris the Hoff, and you can find Pete at Burly Red Yeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com, and of course, if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Michaud, President and Chairman of the Barry Burton Fan Club, and Fire Emblem Fates Rioma, we're done here. We will see you next time.